Let's go ahead and we will uh, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Um, we're going to be reading, I'm just going to read, uh, probably I'm going to read verses 7 through, uh, probably 7 through um, 15 tonight. I know that you guys have the whole thing printed in there, but for the sake of time, we will read a little bit less. Um, and so, starting in verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Uh, father, we uh, come before you once again, and uh, God, uh, we are grateful. Uh, Lord, I was reminded today of the fact that we can boldly come before your throne uh, Lord, as your children, you delight for us to come into your presence. And so, uh, Father, we want to hear your voice now. We want to hear what you have to say to us. And God, we're grateful that you have given us your word so that we may hear what you have to say. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would convince us of our need for the gospel, and uh, that you would Teach us uh, what true righteousness looks like. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we are going over the next two commandments. Uh, specifically, we are putting our focus on verse 14 and verse 15. Um, so for the last, last couple weeks now, we've been going through a series that we have called Ten Words, which is just another... Uh, another name or another phrase that people in the past have given to the Ten Commandments, right? Um, and so last week we, we dealt with uh, honor your father and mother and do not murder, right? And tonight we are dealing with the, the topic of adultery and stealing. Um, and so as we're thinking through these, these two commandments, um, the main theme that I want us to pull out uh, of this, this message is that God's people are to be marked by purity and generosity. Purity and generosity. Now, you might initially think, well, that doesn't seem to say purity and generosity in that passage. However, um, what God's word does and what God does when he's trying to teach us how to live is he doesn't just tell us what not to do, but he also presents it positively, and he teaches us what we should be doing and how we should live. And so when you hear the commandment, do not murder, what should happen in your mind is implicitly, you should be thinking, 
okay, so this is the, the prohibition. What is being held forth to me as uh, the correct way to go, right? So uh, if the commandment is telling me I shouldn't go this direction, it is implicit that it is actually telling me another direction to go, right? And so uh, for these particular commandments, um, they are holding forth the pathway of purity and gener- generosity before us as the, the covenant people of God. And as I was thinking about this, uh, this uh, idea that we should be marked by purity and generosity, these should be characteristics, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with a coworker of mine uh, when I was working at Champion before coming here, and he told me how, that he, how he would often describe me to other people who had never met me before, and it was usually something along the lines of, you know, that bald guy with the tattoos. And uh, I was like, really? That's the, that's the defining characteristic, the bald guy. That's what you're going with? And he's like, he's like, well, it's not your only characteristic, but it's a pretty obvious one. And <laughs> as I was, it, it is, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and, but as, I, as, as a side note, as, as a bald person, we don't want to only be defined by the fact that we don't have hair, okay? Um, <laughs> that's not, that is not the only attribute that we have. Um, but, but with that said, that's kind of a silly example of uh, that is like you, you think, Chris, you think bald guy and maybe some tattoos, right? And in a similar way, what God is, is, is uh, when he gives this command to his people, what he is, he is implicitly uh, trying to communicate is that uh, I want you to live in this way because when the other nations around you think Israel... They should think purity and generosity. These are things that should characterize the nation of Israel and should also characterize our lives as God's covenant people in the new covenant. And so we said over the last couple weeks that the the Ten Commandments are related to, um, do you guys remember, uh, so I called them uh, stipulations of a, uh, what kind of a relationship does Israel have with God? Do you guys remember what I've said the last couple last couple weeks? Okay. A covenantal relationship, right? A covenantal relationship, and so um, in the be, in the beginning of this section here, you you see God kind of give a little bit of the history of their relationship, where He says, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right, and who uh, you know brought you out of slavery, right." So He gives this history, right. And so Israel, at this time, they're at Mount Sinai, and they're entering into this relationship with God. And so God is saying, now, since I have already rescued you, and I've, I've brought you to myself, we're entering into this relationship together. These are the expectations that I'm laying out for you as my people, because I am I'm separating you out from the rest of the world. You are going to be my holy people. You are going to be sanctified to the Lord. And the same is true for us today as New Covenant Christians. We are God's holy people. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 5, that's actually how Peter, he uses very similar uh, language to describe the church. He says a holy, I think it's chapter 5 or maybe it's chapter 2, I forget. But Peter, in general, he says that you are a holy nation, a royal 
priesthood, right? And so this is our identity as well, as we are uh, similar to the Israelites in that we have been called out of the world and called into a relationship with Christ, a covenant relationship with Christ. And so the law of God, while it is not uh, the, the precondition for salvation, it does teach us uh, what true righteousness looks like. In fact, uh, in Deuteronomy, which is uh, essentially a, a republication of the Ten Commandments and, and of the law of God, where Moses, uh, he's getting ready to pass away, he's getting ready to die, and so he, he gives the, the entirety of, uh, of the law to the people as a kind of like, hey, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to die, these are, are the expectations. This is what it looks like to live in covenant with God. And so this, uh, these Ten Commandments, these are um, exactly that. They are what it looks like to live a, a truly righteous life. Um, and so for tonight, we're asking the question, okay, what does this passage teach us about, you know, about... Um, what should mark the people of God? Well, and we kind of already talked about it in the, the beginning, but, but I'll give you kind of a, a little bit more lengthy um, definition of what should mark the people of God. The first is that the people of God should be marked by purity and faithfulness. The people of God should be marked by purity and faithfulness. The second thing is that uh, the people of God should be marked by generosity and contentment. Generosity and contentment. So if you look with me at verse 14, where the Lord says to the people, you shall not commit adultery. And so this is the seventh commandment now um, that uh, God is giving to Moses to give to the people. And so this, this one is a, the prohibition of sexual intimacy with a person that is not your spouse, right? Um, but what is actually also really interesting about the Hebrew word that's used for adultery is that in some contexts in the Old Testament, it also can be translated idolatry, okay? And the reason that that's interesting is because kind of throughout the, the Old Testament, God's covenant relationship with his people is often illustrated with the relationship between a husband and a wife. And so when Israel would go astray and would begin to worship false gods, God would say, you are committing adultery. In fact, there were several of the minor prophets who called the nation of Israel an adulterous wife, Right? And so it is really interesting that uh, this commandment doesn't just hold forth uh, the, the idea of purity, but it also contains the idea that the people of God should remain faithful to their covenant with God, and if they are married, faithful to their covenant with their spouse. And what's another thing that's really interesting about this commandment is that Jesus picks this up in the New Testament and he broadens it out and he deepens it. And he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you, speaking, he's speaking to his disciples, if you look on a woman lustfully, 
you have already committed adultery in your heart. Okay? And so Jesus, what he's trying to do is he's trying to train the disciples to see that the law of God is not just about uh, changing external behaviors. Okay? That's not what the word of God is meant to do. The word of God is living and active. It's meant to cut straight through the external to the heart and is, is meant to reveal the areas where we fall short. And God's word uh, is one of the instruments that he uses to change our hearts. And so Jesus, he, he says that um, it's not enough for us just to not do, uh, not do uh, commit adultery externally. But what this commandment actually is also getting at is the position of the heart, is the true condition of the heart. I mean, and if you think about, um, think about, uh, imagine yourself that you, uh, that you're, you know, married and you, you have a spouse and um, you come home and you have a conversation with them one day and you, you ask them, do you still love me? And if you're, imagine that your spouse responds, no, I'm just staying with you because that's what I'm supposed to do. You would be devastated if you heard that, right? And in a similar way, when we just look at these commandments and we say, I have to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise some you know, self-control because, uh, because this is what God wants me to do, right? It's like, your heart is not in it at that point. And so God is not just after your obedience, though he does demand and want your obedience, but he is also after your heart because he knows that your heart is what drives your behavior. Uh, Paul Tripp, when, when speaking about, uh, about the heart, he says that the heart is the causal core of all that we do. It, the heart is like the engine in a car. So if you, are, uh, if you step into a car that doesn't have an engine and you try and turn it on, guess what? It's not going to go anywhere, right? And for us as human beings, the, the, the heart, and I'm not talking about the literal, you know, the thing beating in your chest, but I'm referring to the, the inner man, the, the heart, right? The, the, the thoughts, the desires, and the, the will, um, the, the uh, inner man, um, that is what drives uh, external behaviors. And Jesus is trying to teach uh, these disciples that what God wants is not just behavior modification, but he wants heart transformation, and the same is true for us nowadays. When God gives this commandment to us, uh, he, what he is after is not just your external obedience, though that is part of it, but he wants your devotion that's, that springs forth from a heart that is truly in love with him, a heart that is truly desiring to keep covenantal faithfulness with the Lord your God. And the interesting thing about, uh, about the fact that this Hebrew word can be used for adultery and for idolatry is this, is that when you have 
adultery happening in anyone's life, whether it's your life or someone else's life, whether it is spiritual adultery, by spiritual adultery, I mean you being unfaithful to God, living in disobedience, or sexual adultery and breaking God's commandment, whether that's through lust or if you're married one day and you break that commandment through uh, committing the, the external act of adultery, idolatry is always at the root of spiritual and sexual adultery. Idolatry is always at the root of spiritual and sexual adultery. If you find in yourself a desire that is distorted and going against God's will, you can be certain that you have already broken the first commandment, you shall have no other God. Because what happens when we choose to sin, when we choose to break God's commandment, is we are essentially saying, I will be God in this moment, and I will, I will uh, choose to obey my own laws. I will choose to uh, be self-governing and self-determining. And so when we have, whether a, any type of idolatry or... Um, excuse me, adultery that happens, whether that's unfaithfulness to God or unfaithfulness to a spouse in the future, the root of that is always that you have another God in your life that you are worshiping, whether that's the God of pleasure or the God of, you know, uh, the praise of other people, whatever it is, we can be certain that the root of that adultery is idolatry. But the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that if, even if you have looked lustfully on another person, if you have broken this commandment, the wonderful thing is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who never broke this commandment, who came and he uh, lived a perfectly pure and faithful life because he knew that you and I would break this commandment, that you and I would, as Paul says in Romans 3.23, he says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, right? And so we who have broken God's law have a redeemer, a savior, Jesus, who came and he uh, took on human nature and he lived a perfectly pure life a faithful life to his father that was completely devoted to the glory of God and uh, the good of his neighbor. And he lived that perfect life. But not only that, he also received the penalty for our sinful, impure actions, thoughts, and desires. Jesus received the penalty for our covenant unfaithfulness because he loves you he loves me, and he desires to have a relationship with us. He desires that we be close to him. And so God knew that this is the only, that, that, that the gospel was the only way that we could be reconciled to him. 
And so as I, I share this, this commandment with you and I, and I recognize that uh, some of us have probably broken it or if not all of us have broken this commandment, my encouragement to you is to look to Christ as the one who uh, is to repent if it is an ongoing sin that is going on in your life, but also to look to Christ who has perfectly fulfilled the law of God on your behalf and died for the sins that you presently struggle with. So that's the, the first thing, is that the, the disciple is to be characterized by a life of purity and faithfulness. But the second thing is that uh, the people of God are also to be characterized by generosity and contentment. Look at verse 15, where he says, You shall not steal. Now, this commandment is the eighth one, and what's being prohibited here is not just uh, stealing of material goods, but also this, this same Hebrew word is used in the context, actually, of kidnapping. Um, and so that's just kind of a, uh, a, another interesting uh, layer to this Hebrew word. But, but the, the idea conveyed behind it is that you don't take what doesn't belong to you. You don't take what doesn't belong to you. Because at the root of thievery, of stealing or taking what doesn't belong to you, is a lack of contentment. It looks longingly at what God has said you cannot have and says, I will take that for myself. And so it is stealing at the root of it is a lack of contentment and a mistrust of God's kind, providential care for your life. And what's interesting, actually, is that in the New Testament, we actually see this really cool passage where Paul kind of, uh, I, I don't know if he necessarily has this commandment in mind, but he actually kind of broadens out this concept a little bit. And if you look at Ephesians 4, uh, look at Ephesians 4, verse 28, and it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so uh, this is what's awesome is that the gospel doesn't just say don't steal, but the gospel actually creates someone who is generous, right? It takes, it transforms a thief into someone who gives rather than takes. And I think this is why we as Christians, we love transformation stories so much. Um, at least I do. Um, but one of my favorite ones actually is the, the Christmas movie, The Christmas Carol. Have you guys have you guys all watched, watched and or read the various versions of it? What's so wonderful about that story is you see a man who was stingy and who was unwilling to be generous and share, who even withheld, uh, you know, the proper amount of wages for, you know, his staff and, and all that kind of stuff. And you see at the end of the movie that his heart has been changed and he becomes someone who's generous, who's actually giving to the poor rather than holding everything to himself, right? He's someone who, uh, I love the, the Jim Carrey version where, you know, he's like, he's like, and therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. 
And so he becomes this person who, uh, who gives, who, who desires to bless with the blessings that God has given to him. And in a similar way, what God is communicating through this commandment and, and uh, through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 is that uh, it's, not, it's not enough to just not take from other people, but God is also calling us to a life of generosity. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't have a job, so what can I give? What, how can I be generous? Well, God has given you uh, time. He's given you talents. And maybe some of you, he's given uh, money or, or different, different jobs or different things like that. But God has, give, has uniquely created you. And he has given you talents and gifts that you can share with other people, that you guys can share with one another. And so there is very tangible ways that you can live generously. You can, I mean, it's as simple as like you have a friend who is going, you know, having a tough day. Just sit with them. Be generous with your time in that way. Just talk with them. Or if you have a friend who has a tough decision to make and they're trying to figure out, you know, how, you know, what what choice to to make, just Give them the best godly advice that you can. These are just really simple and practical ways that we can be generous with the the wisdom, with the time, with the talents, and with the gifts that God has given to us as his people. And so I'll finish with this since we're we're over now. Um, but uh, Luke, you read my notes on this. You read ahead. But like a uh, like a a shiny bald head is a very prominent characteristic. So purity and generosity should be very prominent in our lives as God's people, because we, as the people of God, have been washed by the blood of Christ. We. We have been made pure, therefore we ought to live pure because Christ has, has washed us. We, as the people of God, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And therefore, being changed by that good news, being changed by the gospel of Christ, we give to others and we offer to God uh, what we can uh, not as a means of trying to earn God's love, but in response to his redeeming grace. You see, the rescue of God always precedes the requirements that God has for us. God's rescue always comes before the requirements that he has for our lives. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our groups. Um, Father, we come before you, and God, once again, we are grateful that you have uh, given us your word. 
we're grateful that you uh, teach us, Lord, what it, uh, what it means um, to follow you, to live a life that seeks to honor you. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time as we go into our groups. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.